0: Hello! So, I have been working for the last, like, two weeks on a new, uh, a video that I... It's it's kind of a niche topic and I fell down a new rabbit hole, as I tend to do, but that video is coming soon. I have been working on it pretty consistently, but I had to take a break to talk about today's topic because I watched that 90s show on Netflix And it uh, prompted some thoughts that I I feel like I need to put out into the world. So this is going to be a pretty informal episode. I might do like a bigger, more organized, deep dive into this topic at some point, maybe in the coming like month or two, because this is definitely like an ongoing conversation. But for right now, I just want to get through kind of the basic issues that surround this show, that 90s show. So, first off, I'll say that I don't think the show is very good, so it's it's not really the point of this episode, but I just did need to throw that in there, that I, I think this was a waste of everyone's time, and yeah, a waste of my emotional energy, because watching it, I just got more and more pissed off, because there are two kind of big dark clouds that hover over this show and its history and it it doesn't doesn't ever acknowledge those clouds nor does it have a very good reason for existing despite those clouds like they just should not have done this at all but let's unpack some of the baggage of the parent show that 70s show so i'm assuming that if you're listening to this, you've probably at least, you've been aware of That 70s Show, you're familiar with it in concept, even if you've never actually watched it, because it was an extremely popular sitcom from the early 2000s. And its creators have been trying to milk that popularity for years, so That 90s Show is not the first attempt at widening the That 70s Show television universe. Um, so... While That 70s Show was on, there was actually a different show made by the same people called That 80s Show that premiered and then got canceled after like 13 episodes or something. It wasn't very good. Nobody liked it, but it was supposed to be like a sequel attempt at this this franchise that they were trying to start with that 70s show and then in addition to that there was also another reboot series with the exact same characters and plot as that 70s show again made by the same people the same writers and producers but this time they they remade that 70s show but in the uk so you know how like There's the UK office and then the American office and both of those shows are good, but then they're made with like totally different people. The creators behind that 70s show thought that they could recreate their own show for a different market in a different country. And instead of it being good, it just failed miserably and was canceled mid season one and then didn't even air the last like three episodes of the series. I bring that up just to point out that the creators for this show have had very little artistic integrity from the beginning. The show got popular they saw an opportunity to make money and they have been trying to take it for years and that 90s show is just another example of that. That 70s show is also itself kind of an example of that because mid-season 7, two of the actors, two of the main actors who played main characters, one of whom was like the central main character, decided to leave the show and instead of just ending the show during season 7, like would have been a normal acceptable thing to do the writers decided to just create a whole new main character that was some kind of amalgamation of the two characters that had left and then they tried to like continue the series on after that with just like the same show and a new new main character that they had just made up it was really really stupid everyone hated it and the show was cancelled after season eight but that's just another example of like these people can't fucking let this money go no matter what. It's just kind of creepy and gross. But in addition to that, so that that last point about them continuing the series after season seven, there's something else in that story too that is kind of interesting about the behind-the-scenes context of that 70s show. So one of the actors that left was Ashton Kutcher. Uh, He played Kelso on the show, and he didn't totally leave the series. He still had a handful of episodes in the final season. He more just stepped down from, like, main character to recurring character. And the other person that left was Topher Grace, who had one very, very brief appearance in the final episode, one that he actually wasn't even credited for. Um, He left the show completely, didn't make any appearances in the final season except for that one last scene. And rumor on the street is... When Ashton and Topher were making their exits from the series, Ashton was like crying and hugging everyone and Topher Grace just walked off the set completely and didn't even say goodbye to anyone. So there have always been these rumors of like Topher Grace not being friends with other people on the cast or being kind of um, stuck up or the show itself like behind the scenes being a little bit clicky, you can think of that 70s show is like the early 2000s version of Glee in terms of behind the scenes drama. Um, they they also did have a musical episode. They had one musical episode on that 70s show. But anyway, the bigger thing is both of these shows introduced the world to a cast of up and coming actors, most of whom had very little professional experience, who after they got these roles in this very popular TV show, they just kind of got launched super quickly into the world of celebrity and became pretty much a-listers overnight and when you take a young impressionable mind and you combine it with immeasurable immediate fame which comes with a lot of privileges and entitlement uh yeah the the result is not great And it sets up for a very chaotic and messy environment. Now, one of the messiest cast members at the time was Wilmer Valderrama, who played the character Fez on the show. So this is one of these dark clouds that currently hovers over that 90s show and that 70s show. It is the lesser of the two clouds. It's not quite as dark, not quite as large, but it is definitely still there. So in the early 2000s, while starring on that 70s show, Wilmer started to be known in Hollywood as kind of like a ladies' man or maybe even a womanizer. He was rumored to have dated a lot of famous women at the time like Ashley Simpson, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Mandy Moore, Lindsay Lohan. And uh, he didn't talk about all of those women publicly in the most respectful of terms. Specifically, there was an interview that he did with Howard Stern in which he said some absolutely disgusting things about many of the women that he dated. So he uh, talked about Lindsay Lohan's personal grooming regimen in reference to her uh, her nether regions, uh, which is kind of a popular thing to do in the 2000s about Lindsay Lohan, specifically because of her bright red hair. There was... This, like, obsession with figuring out whether or not the carpet matched the trapes. And according to Wilmer, uh, there there is no carpet. Lindsay has hardwood floors. And I wouldn't repeat that claim normally. But also, you should know that a lot of the things that Wilmer said in that interview have been challenged by the women who uh, he was talking about. So specifically, he said that, um... He had sex with Jennifer Love Hewitt and took Mandy Moore's virginity, things that both Jennifer and Mandy have denied. And Mandy actually went on to the Howard Stern show years later, like over a decade later, and talked about that exact interview and how it affected her. So I'll play a short little clip of that.
1: I think he was caught up in the moment.
2: He was caught up in the moment.
1: Uh, You comfortable talking about that? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Yeah. He said... Uh, he took my virginity. He took your virginity.
2: And he did not.
1: He did not? He
2: did not. Oh. I dated him when I was 16 and 17. No. That had to be... I love him and I still love him and he's a very good friend. And that's why I was so shocked by it because not only was it a fib, but it was so unlike him. It was so uncharacteristic.
1: I've never seen him since. I didn't know him. <laughs> I, I was just talking to him, asking sure, him questions. Of
2: course. And he's dated all the ladies.
1: And he has quite a dating yeah, history. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I met him at a photo shoot for like some teen magazine, literally, when and I was 15. 15.
1: And you were pretty innocent.
2: I was. Again, yeah. like never French kissed a boy. He was like my first real true boyfriend.
1: Right. So when he comes on my show and says, I took Mandy Moore's virginity, yeah. were you beside yourself? Yes. We you, And you were hurt. Very. Do you pick up the phone and call him and say, hey, asshole, first of all, you didn't take my virginity.
2: Yeah. And Uh, where did this come from? And I remember in the moment he like tried to explain it away that sort of he did get caught up and like he maybe insinuated more than actually like outright said it. And I was like, no, you you outright said it.
1: I mean, a woman's virginity and the first time she's with her, that's a real private moment. It is. Right. It really is.
2: But also, I was like, yeah, why would you ever talk about that to anybody? Now, I
0: will say slightly in Wilmer's defense, though I'm definitely not defending him, um, he was definitely being egged on by Howard and the other co-hosts of The Howard Stern Show. I'm not going to play any audio from that episode because it is just, it's so, it's so much. It's just this constant, like, berating of... Uh, what did Lindsay Lohan's boobs feel like? Uh, what did the inside of Mandy Moore's vagina feel like? Like it's it's really gross. Um, but the whole episode is actually on Daily Motion if you can find it that way. And um, yeah, Howard is leading that conversation for sure. He starts off by asking Wilmer if Lindsay Lohan's boobs are real or not. And then it was him that asked what it was like to have sex with Mandy Moore and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And Wilmer just kind of answers those questions and says like, oh, it was great, which he should not have done. But it is kind of weird to hear Howard talking to Mandy. Like it's it's so wrong that he would talk about your virginity like that. Virginity is a sacred thing. It's like, dude, you asked him. You asked him to tell you about taking Mandy Moore's virginity. Now, like I said, the interview with Mandy Moore took place like over a decade after the interview with Wilmer, so it's possible that Howard really just didn't remember the events of that interview and didn't remember how much he was responsible for asking those questions in the first place, but whatever. Uh, That interview is an example of you know, Wilmer kind of caving to a sort of bro culture that is very misogynistic and gross. So it doesn't excuse Wilmer at all, but it is evidence of a wider problem about how men talk about women, especially with other men. Now, Wilmer has a lot of other seedy things in his past in regards to his relationship with young women especially. So one of his most infamous relationships was with Demi Lovato, whom he started dating when she was 17 and he was 29. Most outlets will say that Demi was 18 when they started dating, but she actually wrote a song called 29 for her latest album where she refers to herself at that time as 17, so maybe they didn't officially start dating at 17? but Probably he was sort of grooming her or flirting with her or something at that point in her life. The song is pretty cutting in Demi's portrayal of that relationship. I'm going to read a part of verse two. She says, Had me in your grip, went beautifully with, all my daddy issues, and this shit continues. I see you're quite the collector. Yeah, you're 12 years her elder. So that is a reference to Wilmer's current relationship with his, um i i they got engaged i don't know if they've gotten married yet but either fiance or wife who is about 12 years younger than him granted they started dating when she was like 27 or 28 so an age gap like that wouldn't normally bother me that much because she's at least a normal adult age it's like ages 18 to 23 where i think shit starts to get a little bit iffy when someone is dating someone significantly older than her but even then Yeah, the 12 year age cap is still a little bit alarming just because of Wilmer's overall pattern. And he has had a pattern of dating women who are quite a bit younger than him for a while. So for instance, with Mandy Moore, when they started dating, she was 16 and he was 20. When he started dating Lindsay Lohan, Lindsay was 17 and he was 24. They announced their relationship on lindsay's 18th birthday lindsay has also referred to him as her first boyfriend so that that implies a lot about her own just experience with interpersonal romantic relationships being pretty minimal at the time which would definitely make her a lot uh, more vulnerable to abuse and lindsay was definitely very vulnerable so While she was dating Wilmer, uh, she was actually supposed to have a recurring role on that 70s show. She did appear in like one or maybe even two episodes, and she was supposed to continue being on the show. But then she uh, took a little break from acting because she had to be hospitalized for exhaustion. This is where Lindsay started to experience some of the mental health struggles that would continue to impact her career for the rest of her life. And I bring that up just to say that um, Wilmer maybe has a habit of going after women who are struggling with some sort of um, mental, mental instability or just some sort of mental health problem, which again, leaves them a lot more vulnerable to being taken advantage of and being abused by their partner. So if Demi says... Had me in your grip, went beautifully with, all my daddy issues, and this shit continues. The same can kind of apply to Lindsay Lohan, who also actually did write a song about Wilmer. Uh, It wasn't quite as um, scathing. It was a song called Over, where she's just... Expressing her grief over the end of that relationship. So if anything that does indicate how she was very very emotionally affected by that breakup and by their relationship and uh, Lindsay Lohan definitely has some pretty notable daddy issues as well. So might be a pattern of Wilmer's taste in women, but for the most part Wilmer's issues seem to be an example of a kind of boys will be boys culture. He probably has some pretty abusive habits. I say po- probably because I just, I've never, I've never seen Wilmer's interactions with his girlfriend, so I don't know. But the fact that he continues to date women who are hovering around, well, not continues, because he hasn't done it in a while. He's been with this one girl for a bit. But previously, in his early 20s, he was dating women who were still teenagers and who had a lot of struggles themselves. He He most likely was uh taking advantage of some of their vulnerabilities but i also like i don't know i I haven't seen the interactions of him and his partners privately to know exactly how coercive he has been or manipulative i i don't know but he does seem to have a very low respect for women um and still he's probably not like capital e evil he's He probably doesn't think of himself as like a bad guy. Most of his abusive behaviors are probably pretty unconscious and could be unlearned if he was actually held accountable for his actions. Uh, He probably won't be held accountable, but he seems more like a selfish person than someone who actually enjoys hurting people, at least as far as I can tell. So is Wilmer someone who needs to be totally ousted from the entertainment industry? I don't know. Um, And he he hasn't been thus far. He He's on that 90s show. He makes appearances. He's still working. He's a, a cast member of NCIS or something. I don't watch that show, but I guess he's on it. So this is the smaller dark cloud that hovers over that 90s show. Wilmer Valderrama is still on it. Wilmer Valderrama has some questionable behaviors when it comes to his relationships with young women. The bigger dark cloud is the one that involves Danny Masterson, who played Hyde in that 70s show and is not at all mentioned, nor does he appear in that 90s show. He he just doesn't exist, despite being one of the main characters in the parent show. And this is the reason that that 90s show started to really, really piss me off while I was watching it. I already didn't love the show, just on a a show level. I didn't think it was very good. It repeats a lot of the old bits of that 70s show. It doesn't have its own identity. I also think that multicam sitcoms just don't translate very well to new mediums of viewing television. Like, I think that putting a multicam sitcom with its very bright flat lighting onto a widescreen HD television shot with HD cameras makes it look uh dumb and bad and people continue to do it and I don't know why. So I was already watching the show just getting like annoyed and picking apart everything on it from like a production standpoint. But as it kept going, then I started to get bothered by it from, like, a philosophical standpoint because since the show is banking on the legacy of that 70s show so much and it's constantly making references to the old show and constantly adding in different cameos from old cast members, it just becomes more and more glaringly obvious that they're just not acknowledging Danny Masterson whatsoever. There is no mention of what happened to his character at all. And the reason for that is because any mention of Hyde on the show is going to be taken as a statement about Danny Masterson. Like, let's say that they decided to just kill the character Hyde off. How they do that is going to say something about how they feel about Danny, like if they kill him off and the characters mention that and they talk about it in a way that's like sad and like, oh, we miss Hyde so much, rest in peace, yada yada, that's going to be seen as like a pro-Danny statement from the writers. If they say that he died, but then they say it in a way that makes it hard to empathize with him, like they say, oh, Hyde died because he was committing an act of domestic terrorism. Oh, well like then that's gonna be like an anti-Danny statement and the producers don't want to make a statement either way they just want to ignore it which is a weird thing to do when you take into consideration the things that Danny has been accused of and not even just accused of but like credibly accused of the things that Danny did do the things that there is corroborating evidence showing that he did do these things he definitely did them they just don't want to acknowledge it or make a statement at all. They're just sitting in the middle of this issue that there should be no middle of, you know? <laughs> like, I I just can't believe it. As the show kept going, I was like, they're really just, they're just going to pretend that Danny didn't rape five women? But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's back up. Let's just talk about, first of all, who Danny Masterson is. Danny Masterson is... The actor who played Hyde, he is also a Scientologist who grew up in the church, the Church of Scientology. I'm not sure if he was specifically born into it or if his parents got into it when he was really young, but for sure, he's always sort of been in the Church of Scientology since he was a kid, as has his family, including his brother, Chris, Chris Masterson, who played Francis on Malcolm in the Middle. That's very sad to me because Malcolm in the Middle is my favorite sitcom of all time. And yeah, even that show now is kind of weird to watch and think about the connection that Chris has with all of this, but whatever. Um, he also has a sister, Alana Masterson. She is on The Walking Dead. I've never watched that show, so I don't know if she plays like a main character. I guess her character's name is Tara. So if you watch it, maybe you'll know who that is. Danny and his family have been in the church for a long time. They also got Laura Prepon, who played Donna in that 70s show, to convert to the Church of Scientology as well. Um, Laura also dated Chris Masterson for about, like, eight years, so she was very enmeshed in that family, and we'll come back to her in a little bit. But in order to fully talk about this, we do have to talk about the Church of Scientology, because they play a huge role in these rape allegations. So, quick rundown. Uh, you've almost certainly heard of the Church of Scientology before. They are uh, a cult, first and foremost, and not like a tremendously huge cult. I mean, like as far as cults go, maybe it is. As far as religions go, which is what it tries to masquerade itself as, it's pretty small, but it, it they kind of create like a false sense of success because a lot of their members, well, not a lot of their members, but like a select few of their members that they are very intentionally trying to indoctrinate into the Church of Scientology and then market as being a part of the church are celebrities. There are quite a few celebrities who are part of the Church of Scientology now, or have been at some point or have at least like dabbled in it in the past so um examples of people who are currently in the church as far as we are aware um kirsty alley who recently died she was a a very big member of the church of scientology tom cruise obviously uh john travolta elizabeth moss juliette lewis Jason Dovering, um, who, uh, he's not that famous, but he played Logan on Veronica Mars, and I watched Veronica Mars, so I know who he is. Other people who have at some point gotten into the church, possibly not, like, super into it, but maybe did, like, a few courses at the beginning. Like, there there are a lot of different levels and different courses that you go through as a member of the Church of Scientology, And each one you have to, like, pay money toward, and it can cost you um, thousands of dollars. I think that, like, the average Scientologist will spend, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars in their lifetime just upkeeping their relationship with Scientology. But so there are a lot of people who will kind of get into it and get through, like, the first couple courses and then kind of drop off. So... That happened with Jerry Seinfeld, uh, also reportedly Will and Jada Pinkett Smith. Other people like Brad Pitt has had some connection with the Church of Scientology in the past, as well as Beck, the singer, and uh, Lisa Marie Presley, who also recently died. I think she was pretty deep into the Church of Scientology, and I believe that she did leave prior to her death. I'm not sure exactly when, um, but uh, Yeah. There was also Jason Lee, who played um, Earl in My Name is Earl. He had he was pretty deep into Scientology and he's since left and hasn't really talked much about it since. But My Name is Earl, the TV show actually has a lot of connections to Scientology and has been seen by some critics as pushing some Scientology dogma, which is disappointing because I do like that show, but oh well. There are other people, like Leah Remini, who was a big member of the church for a while and then left in like 20, I don't even know, like 2013, 2015, whatever. She then put out a book about Scientology and then made a TV show on a all about Scientology trying to expose the corruption and the abuse of the organization. I... Love Leah Remini. I just need that on the record. I think she's so fucking cool and so beautiful, too. Like, it's so beside the point. But I've been re-watching... Well, I saw, like, a couple episodes of Leah Remini's A&E show before. So I re-watched that, and then I've gotten further into it than I I did before. And it's horrifying. If you want to learn more about Scientology, I do recommend the A&E show, even though it's definitely very low budget and... uh. Okay, I have some criticisms of the show on, like, a production standpoint, but other than that, like, the information is very useful, and Leah Remini is very good, and even on a production standpoint, it's overall, like, a very good show, but I'm just an asshole, so I can't ever give, like, a totally, totally, like, pure compliment, except for to Leah Remini. Leah Remini has never done anything wrong, and I love her, but, like, even though it's such a serious show that is very sad and will, like, absolutely probably make you cry at some point— Every time Leah Remini is on screen, I have to like take a second to like collect myself because I'm like, oh my God, she's so fucking gorgeous. But it was actually that A&E show that inspired one of, at least one, I don't know about the others, but at least one of Danny's accusers to come forward with their story because they saw Leah talking about the corruption and they, um, they realized how much they had been victimized by the same thing. And that's why they came forward in 2017. But I'm getting ahead of myself again, so let's let's back up again and let's talk about the Church of Scientology as a whole. So it is based on the writings of L. Ron Hubbard, who was a writer from the like 40s, 50s, 60s. He wrote a lot of pulp fiction sci-fi stories. He also somehow became like an officer in the Navy. It's a little hard to discern what about L. Ron Hubbard is true because he made up a lot of things about himself during his lifetime. He was most likely very mentally ill. I believe at some point he was even diagnosed with schizophrenia. And then the church has also embellished or just made stuff up about him since then as part of their own propaganda. So L. Ron Hubbard, it's kind of hard to say exactly what he did. in exactly what he accomplished but basically while he was struggling with a lot of psychological problems himself he created what he called a system of dianetics which was a um a system of like psychology and psychotherapy that was based on a mix of different philosophies and disciplines like different eastern philosophies and medical practices and whatnot, and very heavily took from the work of Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis around that time. People like to make fun of Freud a lot because he had some very silly ideas about like penis envy and, you know, the Electra complex or the Oedipus complex and a lot of that stuff, yeah, has been disproven and is stupid. But there also is a lot about Sigmund Freud's work with psychoanalysis that really just created the building blocks for what we now practice with psychology and psychotherapy and whatnot. Because Sigmund Freud kind of introduced the idea of like unconscious reactions to things, especially things dealing with childhood trauma, which wasn't it wasn't as obvious to people at the time that, you know, you you react to. Things that happened in your past that were bad to you, often unconsciously, that that's a, a big thing that Sigmund Freud did kind of introduce to the world. So I will give him some credit for that, which uh, you're welcome, Freud. I don't know why I said, like, I will give him credit for that. Like, people were waiting on me to approve of the work of Freud. And I don't approve of much of it. The penis envy thing especially doesn't make any sense to me. But regardless, the reason that I'm bringing up that there are good points in the work of Sigmund Freud that that were very important for our current understanding of psychology is that uh, L. Ron Hubbard took a lot of those basic points and transformed them into his own work of Dianetics. So when you start really looking into what Scientologists believe and what L. Ron Hubbard said, a lot of it does sound really, really ridiculous and stupid and it it's the kind of thing where you're like, how the fuck could anyone believe this? But there is a kernel of truth in it, and that that's how. That's how people get involved in this, is they start with the lower courses of Scientology where they just get told things that are pretty basic and that seem pretty universal and not that hard to digest. Like, you are a creature who exists within, like, a human body, and... You sometimes act with a reactive mind that causes you to do things that are mostly unconscious because of past traumas in your life. Like, that, that's pretty normal. That's something a lot of people can get behind because that is more or less true. And that's how a lot of cults and conspiracy theories work, is they take legitimate experiences that people have, that they have trouble dealing with, and they take legitimate practices and philosophies and they just kind of add to them slowly and they indoctrinate people into believing things that they otherwise would not believe if if just slapped in the face with that information and that's just something to keep in mind when we're talking about any sort of cult or conspiracy theory because it it's a little bit um not even a little bit it's it's mean and it's unsympathetic and uncompassionate to act like All the people that get involved in this are just stupid. They're not stupid. I think most people, if not all people, are susceptible to some sort of conspiracy theory or cultish practice or belief. It's maybe just a matter of what kind of cult or what kind of conspiracy theory would work for you. So in 1950, L. Ron Hubbard published a book called Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health, a Handbook of Dianetic Therapy. This was a book that uh, worked on his idea of Dianetics. It was heavily criticized by a lot of people, a lot of experts and scientists who pointed out that L. Ron Hubbard was not really using a very scientific method to come to his conclusions. But again, because some of the information in that book are just built on like basic facts of human life and human experience, It was a pretty popular book that did connect with a lot of people. Now, how popular it was is a little hard to say because the Church of Scientology has retroactively added some information to the overall history and legacy of L. Ron Hubbard. That's not totally accurate. And they continue to encourage their members to buy Dianetics the book like in any sort of medium across any retailer because they specifically want to keep the book and the overall just work of l ron hubbard within the new york times bestseller list so even currently the popularity of l ron hubbard's books are inflated by the uh the passions of the church of scientology which encourages its members not even encourages like requires its members to just go out and buy copies of l ron hubbard's books So after L. Ron Hubbard put that book out, he then started to practice Dianetics as like a form of psychotherapy, but he didn't have a medical license. And so he was eventually charged with practicing medicine without a license, leading him to change his strategy a bit from Scientology being a scientific practice to a religious movement, because... As a religious movement, you have protection under the First Amendment to basically practice your religion in whatever way you want even if it would be technically illegal for you to do it in any other sort of context. And that is how the Church of Scientology has gotten away with a lot of its abuses of its own members for years. They just, they say that it's a religious practice and then they're, they're good. So to understand how the Church of Scientology contributes to these allegations of rape and sexual assault against Danny Masterson, you have to understand how the church functions as an organization and the basic philosophies of the Church of Scientology. So for one thing, this is this is going to sound really stupid and I I know that. But again, remember that the people who get into the Church of Scientology are not going to be told this stuff right away. They actually will deny that this is, like, the the official philosophy of the Church of Scientology. If you ask a Scientologist, they'll say, no, we don't believe that. They do believe this, but you aren't told this stuff until you reach, like, later, later stages of Scientology on the bridge to total freedom, is what they call it. And it is a very, very big no-no for a Scientologist to tell a non-Scientologist about these beliefs and these practices because it's like sacred information to them. So that's why they will like specifically lie about some of the things that they believe because they believe that this knowledge will actually be harmful to people who have not been properly indoctrinated into the religion or the cult really. But the basic origin story that the Church of Scientology endorses is a, a long time ago, millions of years ago, there was this extraterrestrial being called Xenu, and he sent billions of his people to Earth and then killed them via volcanoes and hydrogen bombs. And when he did that, he he destroyed all of their them, like, bodily, but what was left was Thetans, which are essentially like souls, that's kind of the Scientology term for a soul is a thetan, and it's like an extraterrestrial being sort of thing. I'm not an expert in this. I've just done research, so I don't know if I'm explaining it totally correctly, but this is this is the gist. So every, every person is a thetan. You're a thetan that's like your soul, and you have a body but you, you are not your body. You exist as like a conceptual being entrapped within a human body. Now, your soul is um, immortal and it's had different past lives and different states of being. And those past lives will continue to affect you in your current life um, because of what they call engrams, which are sort of like your your traumas from past lives or maybe from a current life, but from like an unconscious state. And those engrams can cause you to have a reactive mind. And a reactive mind is a mind that responds to stimuli unconsciously based off of those past traumas. And in order to free yourself of those engrams and get out of that reactive mind, you have to go through what Scientologists call audits, which are a very, like, manipulative form of psychotherapy. And in addition to the engrams, there is also the body thetans, which are thetans that are disembodied. They never got, like, a body to host them. So individually or in clusters, they will cling to a different thetan that, that is in a body. So like you, a body thetan could cling to you and try to like corrupt you or bring negative influences into your life or something. So on the bridge to total freedom, you have to rid yourself of thetans and you have to rid yourself of body thetans and engrams. And then once you do that, you you will go clear, which is like a, a state of being free of your reactive mind. And eventually you will become what they call an operating thetan, which means essentially that you've entered, like, a godlike state of being where you're no longer affected by different mental or physical ailments. You just exist as, like, a a god who can do whatever they want. So that's your ultimate goal in Scientology, is to get to the level... Of operating Phaeton. And you do that by going through Scientology courses and undergoing a lot of different audits and uh, just a lot of that. So, this is how internally the Church of Scientology justifies Danny's crimes. The church is currently supporting Danny publicly. They're making public statements in his defense. They are also paying for his attorneys. And in a civil lawsuit, they are also part of the defense. I'll I'll talk about that in a second. The church is involved in this entire ordeal. This is not just Danny Masterson did this stuff. This is Danny Masterson with the protection of The Church of Scientology did these things, and the Church of Scientology knows that Danny did those things. They have done investigations. Danny himself is probably admitted to doing it in his auditing sessions, but according to the philosophy of Scientology, Danny only did those things because he was operating from a reactive mind. So to them, Danny being held legally accountable for those crimes isn't helpful to him. The only thing that's helpful to him and even the victims to stop him from victimizing other people is to keep him in Scientology and keep him on the bridge to total freedom so that he can free himself of those engrams and those those body thetans and go clear and get out of that reactive mind that caused him to hurt other people. So that's the first thing to understand is that the Church of Scientology, even though in their public statements will say that these allegations against Danny are false, internally they don't believe that. They, they know what Danny did. But because of the way that the church operates, they will never turn in a Scientologist to the police. This is another part of their philosophy because they believe that no one other than other Scientologists can help someone through crimes like this. They don't think that the justice system is effective in stopping people from committing other crimes in the future. They think the only thing that is effective is the process of auditing and freeing someone of their reactive mind that exists within the church of Scientology. So they will go out of their way to make sure that Danny is not held legally accountable for this. This is especially true because Danny is also a celebrity, so he will get extra protection because they use celebrities as a marketing tool. This goes down to the daily operations of the Church of Scientology. So it is considered essentially a mortal sin for one Scientologist to turn in another Scientologist to outside authorities. The church operates as an incredibly insular organization that has a centralized power structure. There is one Church of Scientology. They have other locations, but all of those locations operate at the instruction by the the church, by the higher-ups in the church, mostly David Miscavige, who make all of the rules about how the church will operate. There are some people who have tried to take Scientology principles and then apply them differently or outside of the dogma of the Church of Scientology. The church obviously does not recognize those people as true Scientologists and even has a cute little nickname for them, which is squirrels. I don't know what the history of that term is, but I do think it's adorable. It's not meant to be adorable to them though. It basically means like heretic. But according to the church, If you speak negatively about the Church of Scientology at all, you are considered a suppressive person. And being a suppressive person means that no other Scientologist can associate with you at all. And that is a very big problem because the Church often indoctrinates families. So if one family member gets horrifically abused by the Church of Scientology, leaves the Church, and then makes some sort of public statement against the Church, their entire family can no longer speak to them. Nor can any other Scientologist, for that matter. So going back to the accusations against Danny, all of these women mostly came forward around 2017. There are five victims that I'm aware of, though I have seen some other people name like seven women. I'm not totally sure on that, but there are at least five. Um, three of them, were in the Church of Scientology when these alleged assaults happened. Two of them said that they took the issue directly to higher-ups in the church. And they, they conducted a thorough interview and investigation. So again, that's why I'm saying that the Church of Scientology, they know that Danny did these things. Like, there is a lot of corroborating evidence. And one of the women was actually coerced into signing a settlement and an NDA while still in the church, that basically prevented her from telling anyone what happened to her. And it it's such, it's so corrupt that this woman was coerced into signing this settlement by two attorneys, one of whom worked just on behalf of the Church of Scientology itself. The other was Danny Masterson's personal, personal attorney, who was also just paid by the Church of Scientology. So basically both of these attorneys work for the Church of Scientology. And the woman had no representation whatsoever. This was all happening within the church. She didn't take it to outside authorities and she was coerced into signing this settlement that they would not even give her a copy of. She did not have a copy of this agreement that she made to the point that in the current court trial the judge actually had to subpoena Danny's attorney to get a copy of that settlement. All of these assaults, as far as I'm aware, happened in the early 2000s. So while Danny was on that 70s show, the women stayed quiet about it for years after until 2017 when the Me Too movement started to take off and then when Leah Remini's show on A&E premiered about Scientology and its abuses of people. So these women came forward. They filed a, um, just... The claims of their assault with the LAPD. The LAPD, by the way, has known associations with the Church of Scientology and also with Danny Masterson specifically, so how much we can trust the LAPD, little iffy. But the LA District Attorney did decide, because of the corroborating evidence, that they had enough information to prosecute Danny and charge him with three counts of rape. Now, It was only three because two of the other women who eventually did file complaints, one of them had missed the statute of limitations and the other, I guess, just had insufficient evidence that they decided to not go forward with that charge. But Danny was charged with three counts of rape. He was arrested in 2020, but then got out on bail of $3.3 million, which was paid for by Danny's mother and his brother, Chris who played Francis and Malcolm in the Middle. That trial started in October of 2022. The jurors were actually screened to make sure that none of them had watched any sort of media related to Scientology, specifically the Leah Remini show, because they didn't want that to bias the jurors. But ultimately, that trial ended in a mistrial because the jury could not come to one final verdict. Part of that had to do with the fact that this took place around Thanksgiving. And so the the court took a break during like the Thanksgiving week. And during that break, some of the jurors got COVID. And so they couldn't be on the jury anymore. So they had to be um, changed out with these different jurors who hadn't been actively participating in the entire trial. So it, it got all weird. It was deemed a mistrial. And it is to be retried in March of 2023. So this is still an ongoing court case. In addition to that, there was also a civil lawsuit filed against Danny and the Church of Scientology by four of the women who alleged to have been assaulted by Danny, as well as one of those women's husband. And this is all about the harassment that they are alleged to have faced in their coming out against the Church of Scientology. And this harassment is, it's insane. Like, it's really, really ridiculous because this is a part, again, of the Church of Scientology's overall operations as an organization. They have a policy that is called fair game, which basically means anything you need to do to protect the church is fine. It's it's warranted. The ends justify the means. So what these women and and this man, the woman's husband, have been dealing with is constant stalking and harassment um, being filmed without their consent, some of them have been chased in cars by other Scientologists, Uh, there were ads posted to social media soliciting sex in their name, Uh, one of them had, like, something thrown through their 13-year-old daughter's window, and two of them have lost their pets in this. One of them said that they had to put their pet down, I don't know exactly what the pet was, like what kind of animal it was, but they had to put it down because their pet had been fed rat poison wrapped inside a rolled up piece of raw meat. Another victim said that after getting caught in a dangerous car chase with members of the church, their dog wound up with unexplained traumatic injuries to the neck, which killed the dog. So the church has been terrorizing these women for years just because they came forward and said that they were assaulted by Danny Masterson. The trial for that is pending the, the results of the criminal proceedings. So they're pretty much just waiting for the, the prosecutor's case against Danny Masterson to reach some sort of verdict before they go forward with the court case of this civil lawsuit about the harassment that Danny and the church have lobbied against these victims. The thing that is most frustrating to me is that at the height of Me Too, there was a big push by some people to, like, put every case of sexual misconduct onto a scale. So, like, with the Louis C.K. thing, Louis C.K. got caught jacking off in front of women who did not consent to that happening, and there were some people who would kind of try to undermine the severity of what Louis did by being, like, okay, well, yeah, that's Bad, but we can acknowledge it's not as bad as what Harvey Weinstein did, right? Like, there was always this effort to undermine really horrible things that happen to people by reminding you that, well, worse things have happened to other people. So we need to acknowledge those things first and foremost. And then maybe we can talk about this. Other- like, it was, it, it's stupid. And the thing that's frustrating about it, though, is that at this point... I can kind of understand why the producers of that 90s show are not addressing anything related to Wilmer Valderrama and his alleged abuse of young women, because that is a smaller scale accusation, you know? Again, I'm not really sure that Wilmer is like a totally evil person, so much as he's a guy who has a lot of abusive behaviors that are horrible that he could theoretically unlearn if held accountable, perhaps. So I get why why no one wants to talk about that. Why why everyone in that on that area is like, you know what? That's a private thing I don't want to discuss. But for no one on the production of that 90 show or that 70 show previously to address what Danny Masterson has done, which is absolutely toward the end of the scale of harvey weinstein like almost almost exactly there except for the fact that harvey weinstein maybe just had more victims but danny has done things that absolutely fit on that scale of like monstrous evil things for people to do and even then people aren't acknowledging it the people who worked with him directly and who are working on a new show that harkens back to the legacy of the old show that they did with Danny Masterson, who at the time of making that 70s show was assaulting women. Like, no one's going to say anything? That's insane. These women are losing their pets because of this. And no, one, no one's going to just be like, hey, um, we at that 90s show don't approve of what Danny Masterson did. And it's especially gross because it wasn't even like Danny Masterson just happened to be these people's coworker. I mean, maybe that applies with like Topher Grace, because as I said, Topher was already rumored to not really get along with everyone on the cast and was rumored to have been a lot more introverted and didn't really participate in the uh, social aspect of the behind the scenes drama. And Topher actually has said more about Danny Masterson and his crimes than anyone else on the production of that 90s show. And he barely said anything. All he said was when asked about Danny Masterson, you know, I hesitate to say that I never saw any of that behavior because I feel like it sounds like I'm defending him. But the truth is, I never saw any of that stuff. I was of the cast, the most boring. So when it came to going out after the show and partying, I was just boring. That, that's the quote that Topher gave, and that, that's really a non-response. But it's the most response of anyone else on the cast, even though Ashton Kutcher was working with Danny up until the accusations came out, and actually even after that. So Danny and Ashton were working together on the show The Ranch, which was another sitcom that premiered on Netflix. Ashton and Danny would do interviews together. They always talked about how close they were, how close the entire cast of that 70s show was. There were photos of the cast of that 70s show hanging out at each other's houses. Like, it's very clear that this was not just a business relationship. These people knew Danny personally and considered him a friend. And when the allegations against Danny started to go public in 2017, it took a long, long time for even Netflix to acknowledge what was happening. In fact, when one of the accusers saw a Netflix executive at like a kid's soccer game or something, they saw them out publicly, casually, and they asked them, why haven't you done or said anything about Danny Masterson, who was accused of all these horrible crimes? Why haven't you gotten rid of him on the ranch? Why haven't you fired him? And the Netflix executive said to that person, because we don't believe the allegations. Now, that executive didn't know that they were talking to one of Danny's accusers at the time, and that executive has since been fired, but it took until the very end of 2017 for Netflix to acknowledge it at all. They said, as a result of ongoing discussions, Netflix and the producers have written Danny Masterson out of the ranch. Yesterday was his last day on the show, and the production will resume in early 2018 without him. So even then, when they made their final decision to fire Danny Masterson... They didn't even mention what they were firing him for. They said as a result of ongoing discussions. That's it. That is the clearest statement that anyone has made about Danny Masterson. Ashton Kutcher has not acknowledged it. Neither has his wife, Mila Kunis. Wilmer Valderrama has not mentioned it. Laura Prepon has not mentioned it. The producers and writers of that 90s show or that 70s show have not mentioned it. The most that they did was one of the creators liked and then unliked a tweet saying that Hyde would punch Danny, the character Hyde would punch his real-life counterpoint. And then I guess he liked another tweet that said, Danny Masterson deserves to rot for the horrible way he treated and silenced women who are brave enough to speak out against his abuse. If you are out there, I believe you, I see you, I am here for you. So a creator liked that tweet. And that's it. They've never said anything publicly. They have not acknowledged Danny's existence or Hyde's existence on that 90s show. And Danny has gone on to support that 90s show. Danny wrote on Instagram something in support of the new the new Netflix show and was like, everyone should go watch it. It's made by the same people that made that 70s show. And he specifically called out the actors who played Red and Kitty on the show and talked about how wonderful they are. They have not said anything about Danny in return. In 2020, he also wished Wilmer Valderrama a happy birthday on Instagram, called him his little brother. And again, Wilmer Valderrama has not said anything. So Danny Masterson is giving indication that he is still close with these people, that he still has a lot of affection for these people. And these people have not spoken up to just say, we don't support Danny Masterson. We do not want to be associated with someone who has raped at least five women. The person in all this who interests me the most is Laura Prepon, who, again, hasn't said anything about Danny, but was very close to Danny and his family and even dated Chris Masterson for eight years and got involved in the Church of Scientology because of Danny and Chris. So clearly, Laura has information. I don't know what specific information she has, but she knows something. In fact, one of the accusers has even alleged that Laura was a part of the effort to silence her. So I'm just going to read directly from tennyortega.org who has been doing a lot of reporting on this case and also just the general corruption of the Church of Scientology. So he wrote about Laura and this alleged effort to silence this victim. Victim B was required to report daily to the Hollywood Celebrity Center for expensive auditing and sec checking, counseling and interrogations. She paid about $15,000 for past life therapy and interrogations in order to convince her that she'd done so many terrible things centuries ago, it accounted for her being a victim in this lifetime. During that time, Masterson himself was also being interrogated at the Celebrity Center and Victim B had to be careful not to run into him. But one day, as she was going through the parking lot, she saw Laura Prepon in her black BMW. She saw Prepon in the parking lot and Prepon was asking her very pointedly, why are you at CC? What are you doing here? Why aren't you hanging out with the crowd? Victim B knew exactly what was going on. She had to act chipper, like nothing was wrong, and yet she couldn't say why she was really there. Prepon even asked her if she was upset with Danny, and she had to say no. Our source explained that if Victim B had answered in any negative way or had acted court or rude, Prepon could have written her up and it would mean a declare order for her and her excommunication, forcing disconnection from her by family members. It's not unusual for a Scientologist to be written up for being rude or antisocial, and Victim B had been written up for something similar just six months before. And she told me that she had known Laura well before this, and these weren't the kind of questions she would simply ask a friend, the source says. Victim B told her friend that the encounter with Laura Prepon in the parking lot at the Hollywood Celebrity Center was one of the most difficult things she had to go through during the entire ordeal, and there was no doubt in her mind that Prepon had been sent there to trip her up on Masterson's behalf. So that account is pretty vague. We don't really know what Laura knew or what she was specifically attempting to do or how she was trying to intimidate this woman. Like, it's very ambiguous. But there is reason to believe that Laura Prepon at least knew of the situation and knew that someone was saying something about Danny Masterson. How involved Laura was after that point, I don't know. But Laura has since said that she has left the church. She said in 2021, I haven't practiced Scientology in close to five years and it's no longer a part of my life. So that would imply that she left Scientology around 2016. And while Laura has been fairly casual about, I no longer practice Scientology, it's not a part of my life. It's very difficult to believe that that was a casual decision that she made because Laura prior to this, was very, very deep into Scientology. She was very far along on the bridge to total freedom. She had invested a lot of money, just like a year before she apparently left Scientology. She was even on the cover of Scientology's celebrity magazine and talking about all the work that she had been doing and how close she was to these different levels. Like Laura was very, very clearly deep into the the religion. So why she left the church is kind of an interesting question that she has yet to answer. It could have something to do with Danny Masterson and maybe her not wanting to participate in any sort of cover up scheme anymore. I don't know. Or it could maybe even have something to do with her current husband because she announced that she was engaged to her husband, Ben Foster, around 2016, so around the time she left the church, and Ben is not in the Church of Scientology. So it is possible to me that she left just because her husband didn't really jive with it but again because she was so deep in i feel like there was probably something bigger that happened prior that motivated that decision and if that decision had something to do with danny masterson uh, i i understand on some level why she doesn't want to speak up about this publicly because Her just saying that I I no longer practice Scientology is not enough to get her deemed a suppressive person, that's absolutely fine, but if she comes out and actually speaks out against the church, she will be deemed a suppressive person and could possibly be isolated by people that she loves or even face some sort of career setback because... The Church of Scientology has so many connections within the entertainment industry, so I understand that there are there are dangers to Laura coming out against the church. But these women are having their fucking dogs killed. Like, it at, at some point there's just no excuse to not say anything, especially with Laura, who probably does know things that's really pertinent to this case. <sighs> So that's that's basically all I have to say. I really just wanted to have a bit of a ranting session because watching that 90s show was just a really eerie experience to know some of this behind-the-scenes information about Danny Masterson and his relationship to all of these people who are currently on the show and not talking about it. It just, it felt really weird. It felt really gross. It felt like just another fucking cash grab that these creators have been attempting since the early 2000s with this show that has a very, very dark behind the scenes history. And uh, yeah, I might do something at a later date that goes more in depth and is a a more formal, organized episode about the Danny Masterson case, because it is ongoing and it's very important. And the Church of Scientology fucking sucks. And I kind of hope that this whole thing brings somewhat of an end to their, their reign over the entertainment industry and over just people. Because there are, there are lots and lots of people who have been victimized by this organization. And uh, yeah, that's it. Um, I'm working on a new, new video. Hopefully that that's out pretty soon. Um, Or if it's not, I'll be back to bitch about something else prior to that. Okay, bye.